and the long increasingly ugly hulls were plastered with commercial logos a few sailors felt this was veering too far from the notion of sport they wrote disapproving letters to yachting magazines dropped away and left the field to younger sailors who were learning to navigate the tide rips and currents of commercial sponsorship chichester decided not to compete with the pack in 1968 he would be up against younger men sailing larger boats, and the outcome must have been clear to him. He would be the game old campaigner who would manage a respectable placing halfway through the fleet. He quietly set off to do something else. Sailing alone around the world was nothing new. The Nova Scotian-born American, Joshua Slocum, a sailing shipmaster beached in his middle years by the steam age, was the first to do it, in 1895 through 1898. He sailed from Gloucester, Massachusetts, west about around the globe, against ferocious prevailing winds, through the Strait of Magellan, north of Cape Horn, in a seemingly unhandy, fat-hulled, engineless old oyster sloop that he had rebuilt himself and christened Spray. The Spray's seagoing abilities and what Slocum managed to do with her have been wondered at and argued over by sailors ever since. Slocum, who couldn't swim and nearly drowned trying to set an anchor off the Uruguayan coast, stopped in many places and wrote a dryly humorous yet thrilling book of his adventure, Sailing Alone Around the World. One hundred years later, it is still the standard by which all other sailing narratives are gauged. Eighteen other men had circumnavigated alone by the time Chichester set out in 1967, but his voyage caught the public imagination as perhaps none other since Slocum's. It was no pleasure cruise. His route was down the Atlantic, east about around the bottom of the world, back up the Atlantic, virtually all the east-to-west part of his circumnavigation took place in a sea not found on most atlases, but infamously known to all sailors as the Southern Ocean. The wind-swept southerly wastes of the Atlantic, Pacific, and Indian Oceans between latitudes 40 and 60 degrees south, between the habitable world and the Antarctic where storm-force westerly winds develop and drive huge seas around the globe, unimpeded by land except for one fearsome place, Cape Horn, the southernmost rock of the Andes, the scorpion-tailed tip of South America. Sailors have respectfully and fearfully labeled the latitudes of this global band of turbulent water the Roaring Forties, the Furious Fifties, the screaming sixties, the tea clippers from India and China, and the square-rigged grain ships from Australia took this route back to Europe because, blown by the westerlies through the desolate seas of the forties and fifties, circling the planet at a short high latitude, it was the fastest way around the world. But it took sailors through the most isolated area of the globe, the emptiest expanse of ocean, the remotest place from land. To take this lonely shortcut, ships and sailors made a Faustian bargain on every trip. 
they exchanged sea miles for an almost certain hammering by the largest seas on earth, the stormiest weather. Giant waves, sometimes over 100 feet high, sleet, hail, and snow, icebergs and fog were the conditions that could be expected in any season. Many ships disappeared in the Southern Ocean, many sailors were washed overboard, almost always unrecovered. In one place, all these terrors were magnified and concentrated into a ship's single greatest trial. At 57 degrees south, Cape Horn forced ships to their farthest, coldest, stormiest south in order to pass into the Atlantic Ocean. Here, southern ocean winds and waters are funneled through a relatively narrow gap, Drake Strait, the 600-mile-wide sea passage between Cape Horn and the...